This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Please go to the network tab on the Simple Passive Cashflow website and sign up for an investing database, the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. Please go and fill out the form. It'll take you a few minutes. And you'll get sent deals that I like from people that I know, like, and trust. Today, we have Chris Rush on the line. How's it going, Chris? Doing great, Lane. Thanks for having me today. Chris is a seasoned real estate investor, zero entrepreneur, and also he is doing a whole bunch of these apartment syndications over the past decade through partnerships and individual investments. He has acquired, repositioned, and disposed of property over 1,000 units in Texas, Georgia, New Mexico, Arkansas, and Washington markets. As a syndicator with Fannie Mae Loan Experience, Chris has a top-notch reputation among the multifamily investment community for providing exceptional value to investors and the community. Chris is a 1995 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, Computer Science, BS, and served 10 years on the active duty, excelling as a Navy pilot. So thank you for your service, and today you are flying commercial airlines, is that correct? That's correct. Thanks for making me sound so good there. I'm going to have to live (laughs) up to that. I know, and tomorrow I am going to an event with Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk. So I thought it was a coincidence that I get to talk to you today. You get to put me in the right mindset. I know. The last time I think we were together, we were in the Burn the Boats t-shirts, and I saying yes a few uh, thousand times. Yeah, so tell us about that burn the boats. That's kind of where I got the famous burn the boats question. What does it all mean? Well, burn the boats, that was a story of a famous naval warrior that was trying to take an island, and every time that they would try to take the island, they had a path of retreat back to the boats. And so that was, they tried it two times and couldn't defeat the residing forces there so at the third time he decided okay once everybody goes ashore burn the boats and somehow that time they won the battle so it's a parallel to if you give yourself no path of retreat you have no path except to win and that's the analogy and I think that's what we've all decided to do once we've gone on this path toward real estate syndication or whatever path in life. I just remember cracking up because when we were in that UPW event, you're in the VIP or like the Diamond VIP in the first or second row of, I don't even know how many rows there are, but a couple hundred rolls of people. And then I see you on the Jumbotron, which are Burn the Boats shirts. And I had to stick that in the podcast question somehow. So everybody <laughs> wants to know, this is the guy where the question came from. Awesome. Well, go big or go home, right? Right. So Chris, how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how are you doing it? I've got a portfolio of single family and have invested passively. That was my path into syndication of multifamily apartments was investing in other people's deals and come alongside them, learn how they do it, and then have uh, syndicated three deals myself in the past two years. I'm about halfway to my goal, but the fact is, is that I enjoy doing what I'm doing and when I reach my goal, I see myself continuing on and putting another line in the sand. I think that's one of the big Tony Robbins takeaway is like when you reach 
your goal, you better have your eye set on something else because one of the analogies that he gave was a lot of the astronauts that came back after hitting the moon, they came back and they entered into depression because they didn't know what else to do. They had to have a moon type experience in order to feel fulfilled. And so I think even though we have our goals that we have to find our path of contentment of where we are as we're reaching out for those goals. You're an example of a investor that didn't really go down the single family home investing path or you had a sum of money and we don't have to talk about how you got that and you found this world of real estate investing and you came into the syndication group and you just passively invested in deals. The fact is, is that I did start at single family because I was low on cash due to being on the backside of a divorce. That was actually the impetus that pushed me to say, okay, hey, you got to look at your life. You got to look and figure out what you want to do. And I had, up until that point, things had gone pretty well for me. I had become a Navy pilot that I always wanted to as, as a kid. I was on the air show team. I got out of the Navy and went to work for Southwest Airlines, was married with a kid, and everything was going great until I found myself where it wasn't going great. And that's one of the things that we don't ever want problems or surprises, but often those surprises are what spur us for growth and ask us to look inside. And so when I found myself in a financial predicament there, I hadn't been there before, but that was actually the event that caused me to look and say, hey, what next? What are you going to do? How are you going to pull yourself out of this? And actually single family was where I got started because syndication really isn't a, hey, no money, no credit, no, let's get started. You really got to come in with something to the game. I think you got to come in with some experience, some net worth, some connections, investors, those type of things. And single family was really where I gained the net worth, the experience in the real estate space because it was new to me fairly. Even though I had participated in real estate as a kid, I hadn't really been responsible for it. As I got into the single family, that is where I got the capital and the experience to venture into the multifamily syndication. I'm sure you got this written down. What is your Han Solo moment? And for those who haven't heard this before, the Han Solo in Star Wars was cruising the galaxy as low-life smugglers, but then crossed paths with the right people and their life took a pivot point. Describe the resistance that was the catalyst for your change. I briefly mentioned that was Divorce was never part of my plan. That wasn't who I wanted to be, where I wanted to go, and it definitely wasn't where I wanted to go financially. But I would say that was the first thing that really hadn't worked out for me on my path. I grew up in Arkansas to a single mom. My dad died when I was four, but she remarried to a wonderful stepdad, and from there on, I got the training and everything that I needed to go, and my life was pretty picture perfect up until that point. So I think that was where my Han Solo moment was where it's like, okay, hey, this is not going to define me and this is not where I'm going to be and I'm not going to feel sorry for myself even though I did for a short period. I knew that's not who I was. And so that's where this massive growth took place. And that's what happens when two people often, when they lose something or they, that's what pushes us to grow. And so I think that was where my moment was where not just in finances or real estate, but in every area of your life. And I think that's what's important. You can succeed. And that's one of the things that Tony Robbins talks about too, since we're on that topic today, that success 
without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. So it's not about the money, even though that is the goal of these ventures to make money. It's what are you doing in the process? Who do you become in that process? I think that's the beauty of these types of events that cause us to really do some self-introspection to say, okay, hey, what do we really want out of life? How do we want to design our life from here on out? Who do we want to become? I don't really particularly like real estate, but I just know that I can't really find anything better to get me what I want, so I do it. That's one of the things. I enjoy real estate, but I think the deeper part of it is one of the things, I know that's one of your questions about the art of fulfillment and the science of achievement. To succeed in real estate, hey, there's a recipe, you're following it, I'm following it. We look at mentors that have gone before us, people that have done what we're wanting to do in that space, and we copy them. And that's a recipe. That's why it's the science of achievement. The art of fulfillment, I think that's the deeper part of this for real estate or whatever activity that we're involved in. And that is how are we showing up to people? How are we making a difference in their lives in the process of what we're doing? Are we making our communities better for our tenants, for the world? Are we giving rewards to investors, people who are investing in our community and connecting them to what a difference they're making? I think that's the deeper part of real estate more than just like, okay, I got to make some money and I got to get out of here and I've got to do something. Hey, there's something deeper here. And also from a perspective, I have three kids and getting them involved in this and teaching them work ethic and how you can be rewarded for doing good things. And that's one of Zig Ziglar's famous quotes. It's like, you can get more of what you want when you help other people get what you want. I think that's the contentment piece of this, when you're really focusing on giving instead of getting, I think that you get by default because you're trying to create value for others. Your customer is your primary goal. Then when you do that, you get more of what you want as a byproduct, but not as the scorched earth mentality, come in and take it all at all costs. That's the kind of how I look at real estate and how I look at my financial ventures. Yes, I think we use the term a lot when we're buying these classy multifamily apartment buildings. We use the term value add, what kind of equity we can force and we can increase the NOI. But yes, I, mean, I use this other term called added value in people. And you're someone who really strikes me as someone who, yeah, you're doing all this stuff in real estate, doing value add projects, but you're also a very value add person. He brings energy. We had this call scheduled and I was like, well, that's going to be a fun time throughout the day. I know we have people that we try and stay away from in our lives that just seem to be a energy suck and the energy just stops with them. Like if we were passing a ball around the room and they just weren't, <laughs> didn't want to play. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And I think you got to be careful. We call it taking a friend inventory, inventory of who is in your life. And they say that you look at the five people in your speed dial, that'll tell you where your future is. And you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You want to surround yourself with people that challenge you and people that push you and not people who are going to be jealous of you. And the fact is, is a lot of times when you start succeeding, I don't know if you've heard of the crab effect, but if you put one crab in a box, he'll crawl out. If you put two in there, as one starts to crawl out, the other crab will reach up there and try to pull it down. That's a lot of times that is when you're surrounding yourself by people who are crabs 
that don't have ambition and by you doing something that's making a difference, then they want to pull you down. And so I think you've got to limit the access that they have to you. Not that you don't want to make an impact in their lives, but you just want to make sure that you're making an impact on them and they're not impacting you. Yeah, I totally love that analogy. I use it a lot. I call it the crabs in a bucket where you're trying to do something (laughs) better, improving yourself. You're almost out of that pit of that bucket and then they all grab you and bring you back in. And (laughs) it's just uh, a lot of that is fear of losing you. And that's where I don't see it as a bad thing necessarily. It's just where they are and they don't want to lose you, whether it's a family member or whatever. And they think that, okay, if this guy succeeds at this level, then I'm going to lose. I'm not going to be important anymore. And so I understand it. So I think a lot of times we can just give them that assurance that, hey, you're still important in my life and it can affect them and lead them and inspire them to be more. I've also kind of believed that when Chris goes out from small town, Arkansas, old high school friend of yours, and you go out and you do these great things that it is a direct reflection on their inability to do what they could have done. And I think that really strikes people to their core and it hurts them. And the only person they have to lash out is Chris, who had the same upbringing. Yeah, and I think it also gives people hope. There's the other side of that coin that it can give people hope. And people like to give excuses. Well, I didn't go to the Naval Academy. Or, oh, you know, I didn't have a great stepdad or great parents, great brothers, those type of things. And you can come up with any reason why you can't do it if you're going to succumb to the limiting belief. And that's why I'm very honest with the unfortunate things that have happened to me because I think it gives people hope. It's like, well, you know what? My dad didn't die when I was four. I actually had a dad. I didn't go through a divorce and lose everything financially. I actually have a lot of money compared to that. So, Chris, tell me your worst life and business moment. I know you kind of touched upon it, but take us back to where you were financially and in mindset. And how did you pull yourself out of that hole? Well, initially, I had found myself essentially at the backside of that event with a negative net worth. I was 36 years old. My initial response was to start feeling sorry for myself. But then you realize, well, not much happens when you're doing that, when you have a victim mentality. The first thing is to take responsibility for your life, 100% responsibility, and say, hey, I am responsible. I'm the sum total of my decisions. Not that everything that happens to you is your fault, but how you respond to it is. I think that when I looked for that, my constraints were that I was now a single dad, and that was very important to me to be a good dad. I think it forced me to say, okay, now I've got to design my work around my life, not my life around my work. So that was actually a gift. And that's where I looked at real estate. And when I was a kid, my stepdad, he had mobile home parks and pretty low end rental property. But the fact was, is he retired at 52, moved to Florida and bought a deep sea fishing boat. So I had to pause and look like, well, that's an option. So I started looking into real estate more. And that's where I found the recipe, which was to get a mentor. And I look at everything through the lens of being a pilot in that when I start a venture, I look at it as a parallel to, okay, when I started flying, I became successful with that. Why? 
if I had gotten in an airplane the very first time without any training, without any planning or anything, it would have been quite a terrorizing experience trying to get the thing back on the ground or dealing with any kind of issues that came. And so my plan with real estate was a parallel to that was, okay, I've got to get some training from somebody who's been there before. Aviation, we do simulators. In real estate, we do spreadsheets. We look at properties. We think all the way through. We analyze and we look at profit and loss statements. We discuss obstacles that people who have done this before. And then we assemble our team, all the people that we need to help us get in the air. And we also think about, okay, how are we going to get this on the ground? So the whole cycle from our business plan to how we're going to raise the money, all of these things, and we think all the way through it. And that was the purpose of the mentor, assembling a team, getting an investor database together, getting all the people that we need for a safe takeoff and landing. That was what I did. And I started that with single family and then found myself moving toward the multifamily as opportunities presented themselves. Now, can you describe the burn to boats? What were you giving up? What was the risk at that moment if the single family thing didn't work? I didn't really consider it not working. I knew that I had to. It was not an option. I think my big burn the boats moment really was when I became a syndicator and I took someone else's money. It was not my own money that was going into it. It was somebody else's. Really, as a syndicator, if you don't think that's a big deal, then you shouldn't be a syndicator because being conscientious with your money is one thing, but being a steward of somebody else's money, I think that's a point of no return. That's a burn the boats moment to me when you step across that line and you say, I'm going to take your money and be a good steward of it. What's one way that you ensure that you're just extra cautious, like maybe in a way you underwrite properties, maybe you bring down the average rent growth, or what's kind of one way that you ensure that? I think one in the, this was a proverb from King Solomon. He said, in the multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. And so I think that when we really ask the right questions, it's like smart people have answers, geniuses have good questions. I want to get in front of people that are going to ask me good questions, put this deal in front of somebody that I trust and let them ping me. Well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And so I think that is one way that I'm careful. And then really going all the way through with the obvious things, conservative underwriting, extensive research, and really thinking the plan all the way through. I think that is the main way that I'm careful with someone's money. People are listening and they think that we're all high-end real estate investors and we live on the top of this mountain and we're not really working on anything, but what's something that Chris Rush is working on currently, like a six-month project and some kind of a weird two-week experiment that you're up to? I would say the most immediate thing that I'm working on right now is just delegating more. One, giving more people the opportunity to work. I think when you do too much yourself, you're not only getting overloaded with what you're doing, but you're also taking opportunity from other people to grow within that position. That is one of the big things. And we just acquired two new properties in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they're both value add projects. And so we're doing some creative things with that. And that would be the near term projects that I'm working on. What's one thing that you're outsourcing, getting off your workload? 
the newest thing was bookkeeping, business QuickBook files. It's one of the things when I was a computer science major, so doing computer work, I like doing that stuff. Is that the best use of my time? And Darren Hardy had a good way of thinking about this that challenged me in this area. And he says, divide the amount of money that you want to make per year by 2,000 hours. That is the hourly rate you should be working at. For example, if you want to make a half a million dollars a year, then your hourly rate should be about $250 an hour. So when you're scanning receipts and putting them in QuickBooks, you have to ask yourself, well, would I pay someone $250 an hour to do this activity? If not, then you probably need to outsource that. You need to delegate it. That was the challenge to me. And from a personal perspective, that's where I am working on my growth and asking myself those questions. Hey, can I delegate this to somebody that can do this job? Yeah, so currently what I do is when I go out and eat, I'll take a picture and it'll upload to Dropbox and it'll go into this huge folder. And from time to time, when I get a little extra time, I'll take the pictures and I'll put it in my Excel spreadsheet per all the columns of the Schedule E, meals, meals with others, supplies, professional services, other, and it'll get uploaded with that way. What kind of a system do you have? Do you just have receipts and just give it to somebody and they deal with it? That is where I've gone. Essentially, I have a neat scanner and I can just put a stack of them in there, scan them, put them in a folder that I share with the bookkeeper, and that's the last I see of them until I see it on a QuickBooks file. Do they put it into the Schedule E format? I haven't got that far with it because this is fairly new for me. It's great. It's great that other people are toying with this idea and, and tweaking it to yes. work with them. Because I've got all these several LLCs now, and you got to track it per different LLC. And it's hard to tell a bookkeeper which one it is. I mean, I guess I could just write it on the dang thing when I upload it. But I don't know. I find it hard to trust these guys. Maybe I just need to see you delegate it too. <laughs> This is another Darren Hardy thing. He says, if you can't delegate, it's because you're a narcissist. It was a very harsh assessment. And I was like, man, that is pretty tough. But then it's like, is there no one else capable of doing what I'm doing? And I think that was the moment where I was like, you know what? That's not really true. Even though I think I can do it my way and I don't want to have to think of a system or process or go through the deep thought to teach someone my way of doing it or entertain their way of doing it, that long term, I think it pays off to find a way to systemize it and come up with a process that someone else can follow to execute what it is that you're currently doing. The E-Myth, I don't know if you've read that. Yeah, Michael Gerber's book, that should be high on everyone's list. Yes. What are you, out of curiosity? Which of the three are the visionary, the manager, and then technician? Which one are you? I would be, by nature, definitely be the manager. But I think as an entrepreneur, you have to fill all the roles. But I think that is where I fall into naturally. So you believe that if to play your role, and I've heard this term called like functional teams, you try and build your team with yourself as your best self, which is the manager, and then you try and find a technician and then the visionary person to round out your team. That's exactly right. When I got smart and sold my primary residence to start investing in investments that actually made sense, 
I need a place to diversify quickly as opposed to some money market or some high reward checking account. Let's face it, turnkey rentals are cool and syndications are great, but they don't come around often. I stumbled upon the American Homeowner Preservation Fund. The owner, George Newmary, once apartment syndicator too, is now sponsoring the podcast. His fund cuts the middlemen out to crowdfund the solution to the mortgage crisis in America. They are empowering you to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages and earn returns that smoke any other passive fund. If you find something else better out there, let me know. Oh yeah, they work with families to keep them in their home after buying the underwater note at a huge discount. It's an opportunity to make an impact on families and communities while earning returns. Start investing with as little as 100 bucks in investinahp.com. If you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Chris, what's your simple passive cash flow number and imagine you two times it? Describe your ideal day, detailed routine, and what projects you'd be working on. Like I said before, as I reach for my goal, I want to start with contentment with where I'm at and not contentment so that I can sit around on the couch and be lazy and say I've made it because there's no fulfillment in that. But I think if you're waiting for someday before I reach this goal or for some to be happy and content now, then that someday ends up never coming. I think before we go there, I think we have to say, okay, hey, am I happy now with where I'm at. And even though we're not where we want to be from an ambitious standpoint, finding that contentment there. So my number, which I know that it's going to grow over time, but I'm going to be happy on my way there. And after I get there and put a new line in the sand is $50,000 a month. But I know that I like flying. And so I'm going to continue to fly some and I like real estate and I'm going to continue to do that as well. But I think that Ultimately, we want freedom. We want the freedom to do what we want, when we want, with who we want. And I think that's ultimately where we all want to go. I think your question was, what is my ideal day or routine? Yes. And what kind of projects you'd be working on at that point? I'll tell you what my, my day is right now. And I like the routine that I have. And I tweak it from time to time as I get ideas from people or if I find something is getting stale. But I start my day off, Tony Robbins calls it the hour of power, and I think that it's important to start your day off filling your own cup up so that you have something to give, something to pour out throughout the day. So when you show up, you're not showing up low energy, tired, depressed, any of those things. My secret sauce that I say is gratitude. Tony Robbins has the priming exercise where you Think of things that you're grateful for, something big, something small, something from the past, something from the future, different things. And I think when you see life and train yourself to look at life from what you have instead of what is missing, where you're going, not the past, and you fill yourself up with gratitude, I think it just makes every part of life and what you're doing so much sweeter and you show up to people much better. That's how I start my day off, taking care of my mind and taking care of my body. I think if you're not taking care of your health, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You can't enjoy this. In fact, man, you can be rich and unhealthy. And what do you have? And a lot of people end up trading their health as they work long hours, don't take care of their body, don't eat right. And they end up unhealthy and wealthy. And then in the end, they will trade all their wealth to try to get their health back. What I want to do is focus on having a healthy mind, which filled up with gratitude, and then also starting my 
day off with, I drink a bottle of water. I have breakfast with my kids, send them off to school, and then get to work out for about an hour. And then I come home. I'm usually at my desk by about nine. And then I look for any urgent emails. I don't answer everyone, but I look for anything urgent. And then I turn everything off, all my internet, my phone, and I focus on my top task. And Brian Tracy calls it Eat the Frog. I don't know if you've read that book, but it's a good book talking about the most unpleasant tasks, the things that you really don't want to do, the things that you want to procrastinate and get those out of the way first. And once I've got those out of the way, then I get connected. I answer all my emails and then I go to work on some lower level projects or longer range things. And then my priority is to What's the purpose? I think the most sweet thing in life are the relationships and family. My kids are out of school by three and I spend the afternoons with them. I usually get back to work after dinner for about an hour or so. And then I put them to bed and then try to get a good night's sleep. And that's a typical day for me. And I like that routine. It's working good. And I feel like I've got good relationships with my wife and my kids. And then I'm investing in them and in their uh, future. What kind of uh, workflow do you have in terms of, like, do you have different time blocks you work in? you got the hour after dinner, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock when your kids come home. Are you slicing that in any kind of structure, working on that one big thing, and then... Yes, so I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think you've read that book, The One Thing. Have you read that? Yeah, well, uh, I don't read these. My confession is I don't really read these books. I don't need to hear all the stories and all like the backup evidence. I just take it. I just do it. I've stopped examining the roots. I just pick the fruit. I just copy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we all find our path that works for us. And I think that has been a big thing for me with not really multitasking at the time, really focusing and also on an aggregate level, okay, am I looking at all these different things? Okay, am I looking at single family, land banking, multifamily, stocks, options trading? I definitely suffered from a shiny object syndrome. The consistency, I think, is the key to success in anything, whether you're working out or whether you're doing real estate and staying singularly focused on that. So yes, my workflow is such that I say, okay, what one thing is going to make the biggest difference that I do today? And that's how I break it up and prioritize what I do. And when do you figure out what that one thing of the day is? Is it the night before or the morning? Yes, I use Darren Hardy's idea of bookends where you have routines. We all have routines, whether we realize it or not. We're creatures of habits. Just unfortunately, most of our habits, we haven't well thought out. We haven't decided, okay, hey, why is it that I do this and does it serve me and is it the most efficient way to do it? So I have uh, bookends on how I start my day, which I briefly talked about that, and then also how I end my day. And that's one of the ways that I end my day, one with journaling, because I find the value in journaling is that much as a photo album is a representation of what you looked like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, Journals also capture where I was at that point, what I was thinking, the problems that I had, and I can reflect on that not only to help other people, but to be grateful for where I've come from and have some celebration from the progress. Also, after journaling, I'd plan my next day and really 
look at what I've got on my plate and what needs to be done and what priority. Yeah, I do this thing, and it doesn't happen every day, but I have these Starbucks cups with these boxes on them, and I there's only like a few boxes on them, and I write down like the few things I need to get done tomorrow. When I get done with it, then I throw the cup away, but that's my way of ensuring that I stick to the tasks, because if you think about that one task that you need to get done, I mean, it really doesn't take that long, when like 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Like, yes. Why the, why the heck don't we get it done, right? Yes, I actually have this frog sitting on my desk. It's a brass frog, and that's a reminder of Brian Tracy's analogy that that one unpleasant task to eat that frog, and that's his analogy, and that's what that frog staring at me in my face reminds me of. When are you typically done with eating that frog? Is there like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock? It depends on what that frog is, and sometimes by shutting everything off, I'm much more efficient in how quickly I get that done, that I'm not sidetracked. They say that distraction can cost you up to 11 minutes to get refocused on that task, especially if it's something that requires deep thinking to internalize a lot of different information from different resources and then start the deep thinking or something creative. If you get out of that creative flow by distraction, by even a ding on from a text message or oh you got a new email or whatever it is i look at that i change my way of thinking now i've got to get reacquainted with all this information again and it can take up to 11 minutes to get refocused that's kind of my way of dealing with that i'm sure you have your little routine too i mean when i'm analyzing deals it doesn't take me that long to analyze it once i have all the rent rolls or the pnl i take a lot of shortcuts when i do my preliminary analysis to even see if it's a halfway decent deal it takes me like five ten minutes but it's like getting into that state it's, my stand-up desk table has to be the right height and <laughs> I have to have my tea and it's hard to just get started yes up. henry ford said that there's no links that people won't go to to avoid the task of thinking especially deep thinking is a tough task Chris, next question here is something you've recently thought about burning your cash on for a time saving or improvement in quality of life. Well, I think that the most recent thing was the bookkeeper. As far as increasing my quality of life, any other gadget or those things, I think I've got the gadgets I need. I think I probably have too many because I like gadgets, although I did enjoy buying this podcast mic. Next time I see you, I think this is the last year I'm going to do my own bookkeeping. I'm going to do what you do and just put everything in a Dropbox folder and then find a VA on Craigslist to do it for me. I think you and I talking today has put me over the edge. (laughs) Well, good. There's something that you've changed your mind on recently because our ego often gets in the way of greatness. And I see it in so many people that call me that they don't want to do this or that. And well, why? they're holding on to what they thought in the past. So something that you've recently changed your mind on. That's a good question. I don't really have an answer for that one. Sometimes for me, like leasing a car, for example, I thought, you know, you always want to buy or something like that. Or the life insurance, the infinite banking concept. I always thought life insurance was a scam. I did recently look into the infinite banking life insurance concept, and I probably put about five hours worth of time into studying it because I like the initial sales side of it that, hey, I can have money working in two places at once. But the understanding that I came to was that 
in most of the 20 pages of the policy that I'm looking at, we're looking at one small section of it. And one thing that I've made the commitment to myself is that if I don't fully understand something, I'm not getting into it. And that's from Warren Buffett. If you don't understand the investment, then you shouldn't get into it. So I got to where I've put what I think is a reasonable amount of time into it. I don't fully understand it. So I've chosen not to do it unless someone else can explain it to me in a way that's more simplistic and importantly, someone who has already done it that's five years down the road because that's where I had the problem coming to grips with the fact that it seemed that my money wouldn't be making much of a return for five to six years. And I think that's a good assessment, especially for yourself whose time is much more valuable in analyzing deals and managing the properties. You need to see a much bigger ROI on your time. Yes. This is the question that I knew you'd knock out of the park here. Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is the art of fulfillment, and the second is science of achievement. If you die tomorrow and I were to email this to your kids a couple decades later or a decade later, kids are a little older, so maybe they would care. This is what they'd hear. What is your secret or hack to the science of achievement? Wow, now you put a big load on that with saying my kids are going to see this in a decade. I hope that I've grown a lot more in a decade and I have a lot more to add. But as a snapshot right now, for me, the secret to the science of achievement is consistency for me, being consistent with what you do day out. And the thing is, is success can be mundane. Hey, looking at tons of deals, analyzing, looking at the numbers. That's not the sexy side of success. Hey, going to the gym day after day after day. Hey, drinking plenty of water. All those things are not, but that is the secret is consistency, staying the course whenever it doesn't seem to be paying off. Also finding that mentor, someone who's been there before. So you don't have your ladder leaned up against the wrong wall. You can be climbing as hard as you can, but not doing the right things. And so being consistent with doing the right things in the right way, I think that's the secret hack to the science of achievement in whatever industry you're in, whether it's real estate or personal training or flying an airplane. And I think the second part with the art of fulfillment, that is the whole crux of this thing for me. And I think some of the epiphanies that I had was that that whole concept that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. How do we get fulfillment? Well, we get fulfillment through growth and we get fulfillment through contribution. I think that if we answer those questions, how am I growing? Who am I becoming each step of the way? And how am I giving back? Whether it's to the community, whether it's to my wife and kids, whether it's to fellow investors that I'm working with. Okay, what's in it for me before I do it? No, hey, I want to give back to you. Hey, I want to help you reach down and help those that are working their way up. I think that's where fulfillment comes from. And we have a nonprofit. It's called Our Neighbor, where we give back to our local community in Arkansas, where we grew up for disadvantaged kids like we were initially, and we're giving back in the community. But a lot of times people are, are looking for, okay, well, I'm going to contribute once I've arrived or once I can do this grand gesture where I open up a nonprofit or do something like that. But the fact is, is that we all have the opportunity to contribute every day in just the way we interact, whether it's just a smile or giving someone a compliment 
or doing something like that, we can make a difference in people's lives through everything that we do. And I think that's where fulfillment comes in making a difference in whoever it is you come into contact with. Something in my daily journal right next to the gratitude column is how did I add value in some different way, whether connecting somebody with somebody else or if I, if I get in a pinch, I do that smiling thing, but that's just like when I'm desperate to <laughs> get one. <laughs> that's funny. Well, a lot of these things, Jim Rohn said, they're easy to do, but they're also easy not to do. And so I think that's the key. Hey, they're easy to do. Success isn't something that's hard. It's just something that it's easy not to do as well. And a lot of people choose not to do it. It's like if you do do these things, these simple things, it just makes it so simple to just rise above the rest of the crowd. It kind of reminds me of like casual Fridays. You've heard of this, but casual Friday just makes it easier for the rest of us, right? <laughs> yeah. Just put on a decent shirt and you look like the best person out there. That's right. So anything we miss, put your contact information out there for people to get a hold of you, Chris. Yes, sidereal management incorporated sidereal is a word ever related to the stars that's a naval reference and my email is you can reach me at info at sidereal.com that's s-i-d-e-r-e-a-l-c-o-r-p.com all right and thanks to everybody for joining please go to the website and please join the hui deal pipeline club chris thanks for coming on Hey, Lane, truly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.